1: Welcome to the Pride of Detroit PODcast, cast. Pride of Detroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us as we come to you live twitch.tv Pride of Detroit. Newly arrived, newly chastened, newly words. I don't even know what they mean because I am Christopher Fett, the adequate host at Christopher Fett on Twitter. We have a lot of things to get to here today. We're going to be giving you a little bit of mini camp review where we pepper one man, our inside man, the man who now holds the name on the media office because of the media combine about whether or not this is real stuff that translates to a football season, or if we're just talking about football in June, in June, we'll get to him in a second. And then we will talk about breakout players. Uh, We'd like this from Bucky Brooks a while back, the I trying to pick where he picked a 2023 NFL all breakout team. And I think we're going to name our candidates, which we might like from the Detroit lions to be one of those breakout players. And we were writing it at the end of the season, But as I mentioned, that man who is now adorning the uh, recording booth for the media center for the Detroit Lions in Allen Park is Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader, your 2023 media combine champion, a dorky and unbelievable title at Detroit Online, where you can see his ass. Hello, Jeremy.
2: Sixteen years ago, Justin Verlander threw his first no hitter and Detroit sports has been missing its hero for the, the the 16 years
1: since well i'm here to say i've arrived and then senior editor for the pride of detroit ryan matthews Back, the rock guy. at ryan underscore pod how are we doing ryan we're uh two buddies today I, I'm yeah, I'm so sorry that I can't
3: edit Jeremy in real time, but I will do everything I can for this upcoming season to make sure Thank that you. that doesn't leak into every single one of his articles.
1: Yeah, I know. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It, it's 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 going to be a lot. And this is the last time we're going to talk about the media combine because it's so damn navel gazing, <laughs> maybe in the scraps. Anyway, let's talk about camp. Let's uh, we don't usually we usually front load with uh, some news. We're going to try to sandwich here a little bit because I like our two topics we have. So once again, we pull Jeremy back into the spotlight. We got mini camp review to talk about. Jeremy, you've been there the last few days. We've had plenty of chances to see the players make our notes. But as always, I'm a guy who works in an area where we just look at this stuff and, and roll our eyes and say, this is football in June. What are you talking about? Whereas you guys get right your face right in the dirt and you get fans hyped up really hyped up because sam laporte is catching the pass i mean it's i was just really quick like i I was just gonna say
2: there's there's a little bit of 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 each of those that is correct right like dan campbell calls it a pajama party which is fair um and but like this is also your first look at a lot of these new lions players and you know when they there, there are a lot of things that you don't need to pay attention to uh and there are some things that that do matter at least a little bit and i think that's that's kind of what the the focus is here, right, is is what are what, what's the stuff that we can actually take into training camp and what's the stuff that it's just like, forget about it. We'll we'll reassess when things actually matter.
1: That's right, Ryan, we are going to lead off and uh, I think you and I have both have specific players or questions about the team in mind for Jeremy. So we'll pepper him with those. And then once he's told you about it, then we will, then uh, the two of us, the lay people will then sit here and say, whether that's June football or real, real. Yeah, that seems fair. You uh, You can take the first shot, my friend.
3: Oh, for sure. Okay. All right. So I, the the first question I have to Jeremy and again, who knows how much we can make of this. Now I will always preface everything uh, with that, but what can we make of the, secondary being stickier
1: yeah
2: it's a good question because hold on to be... hold on
1: define define sticky <laughs> listen we uh, just did a week of riz so i need yeah, to make yeah, sure yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about the yeah. same thing
3: well again i mean so what we're talking about basically is are is is the secondary are the defensive backs is there an improvement in how well they're doing in coverage are they staying closer to receivers are they making plays i think this is something where if you want your defense to take the next step next year, Jeremy, right? Like usually yeah. that's all about turnovers and stopping big plays from happening. And usually those big plays come through the passing game. So like, is there anything to report back about the the lion's secondary showing those kind
2: of improvements? I mean, no, the answer is no question. Like it's not, it's not even close to where it was last year. And, and you, you got the word stickier, not from a defensive back. You got that word from Jared Goff. He noticed it. He's the one that's like, this coverage is stickier. They made my job harder. And basically that's great. Um, and, and Mark Brunel said the exact same thing today. Like the secondary made our lives hell. And that's awesome. I like, it sucks that, that maybe the offense wasn't as explosive this off season uh, so far as it was last season, but it's obviously better for the overall team. If the defensive backs are suddenly stickier and and more playmaker and more ball hawking. And um, you know, it, we're good. We're, I think we're going to. I, I kind of want to go down this lane of we talk about it all the time when you're talking about the team facing the team. When there's always a positive, there is a potential negative. And so I think there are some questions here on the other side. And I think we've talked about a little bit before. Like, does this maybe raise a little bit of concern about the wide receiver group, which is maybe one of the weaker spots on the team or most unknown spots on the team, given the JMO suspension, given no DJ Chark? But it's impossible to to watch a lions practice over the last three weeks and not be like CJ Gardner's got these guys hyped up. They're getting their hands all over the ball. They're knocking it down. They're getting interceptions. And it's not just like these starting guys. It's not just CJ. It's not just Cam Sutton. It's not just um, you know, in in, in at, at safety uh Kirby Joseph. It's, you know, Brian Branch is making plays out there. It's Starling Thomas, the undrafted free agent rookie, the fifth. Yes, that's right. Um, and, and you know, Savion Smith is getting in there a little bit, too. So it's like you have to feel pretty good about all that on top of the fact that Tracy Walker isn't doing team drills on top of the fact that Emmanuel Mosley isn't doing team drills. It's just like, again, it's all it's all, you know, spring football. It's all no pads and stuff. But like, I think one of the things that you can really that simulates football the most is really the wide receivers versus defensive back. Battles. Like they're they're playing at full speed. Sure, there's they aren't as physical. Sure, they aren't tackling. No one's getting their head taken off of, you know, running them around over the middle or anything like that. But it's as close to actual football as you, I think you get during the spring. And to see the defensive backfield take that sort of jump has to be pretty promising, I would say.
1: So Ryan, you taking that as real or June?
3: I think the last point or one of the one of the later points that you made, Jeremy. Like it does hold some weight. Like you get these guys running routes, they're running them at full speed. You know Uh, the defensive backs, they have to react to that in real time. It, again, you're, you're taking away some of the physicality of it um, just by it being a pajama party. Like you mentioned, Dan Campbell said, but I think you you see these guys and really those two speeds are defined by speed and quickness. Right. So like those two things you can always have on display. So I'll I'll buy it for a dollar.
1: I'm I'm actually going to argue the side of June football just because I feel like we've seen this play out before, just kind of in reverse where the receivers jumped out to a phenomenal start last year. And it was the panic over the secondary. Do I have that right, Jeremy, or am I just misremembering things? Yeah,
2: that feels right last year. I would yeah. Say
1: so. And I think it just came back a little bit more to the mean, like the, the secondary was still bad into the season. But I think one side or another always seems to start slow as far as the routes and the playbook. And I think eventually what happens as we get closer from training camp, it gets a little closer to the median between both right now. So I, I guess why I'm saying it's June is panic over the receivers in that particular part while also hyping up that secondary. I think again, they're playing against their own team too. So I think once we get a little more time with some, maybe some joint practices, I can reevaluate the secondary then.
2: The the only other thing I'd, I'd add to the point is that in general, this time of year, the defense is ahead of the offense. The offense yes. is, is doing all of like the, you know, they have to learn a whole they, new book. Right. Right. Yeah. And while the defense is more read and react, which is, you know, not that scheme isn't important. It, it certainly is. And, you know, with as much as I think, and this is a part that I felt was the most improved and most promising is, and, and asked a couple coaches about this, like the lines offense does a ton of pre-snap motion and the entire purpose of that is to get the defense all mixed up. You know, you you have to change assignments on the, on the fly. You have to communicate loud and quickly. And the lines were doing that much doing that so much better defensively than I've seen them really ever. And the caveat there is that they're doing it outside with no fans screaming at them quiet as a mouse. They can hear each other cleanly. That's going to be a lot different once the bolts are flying, as they say. So, Mm -hmm. um, but still, like that that communication, even at this time of year, is way ahead of of anything I've seen in this regime. So that's I, that's definitely promising.
3: I think that's something that we were expecting, but did you notice that specifically from Cam Sutton? Because I, I think that we yes. got that impression yep. um from our, our preview podcast that we did um on first bite. But yeah, we really got the sense that like he's a heady player and he's the guy who's gonna be you know, shouting coverage changes and assignments and all that stuff. So what was, was he kind of the front runner of it? Or did you see it maybe more so
2: with him? Well, it's tough because by volume, it was CJ gardner Johnson, but that's just literal volume. It doesn't seem surprising. He's loud. He's very loud out there. Kirby Joseph, like that guy has come into himself like 100% to think about where he was at this point last year. Like everyone's assuming he might not even play his rookie year. Now he's like, he's out there screaming at guys like a veteran. Um, that's a guy I'm really excited to see and and, and could see even a potential a potential year two jump, which kind of seems mind blowing considering he's coming off a four interception season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like Sutton is kind of like the, the quiet leader, but but not out there. Like he's definitely one of those guys that's that's communicating and, and directing traffic and things like that. So, yeah, the answer to your question is yes, that's him.
1: All right. Moving on. uh, Someone I wanted to ask about actually was Sam Laporta. I remember seeing, I think I I saw the quote out there from Laporta himself was uh, he, he doesn't really see the playmaking right now. He sees little mistakes all over the field, things that I can just get better at. It's a process and we're trying to speed up that process as much as possible. So he sees the tape, he sees the routes, but not the playmaking right now. But what do you see out there out of the newest tight end who? I, I don't know. Figuring out the tight ends this year is a little tricky, Jeremy. It feels like it's going to be one hell of a timeshare, but it always feels like Laporta, at least even in spite of being the rookie, has the most upside to establish don- dominance on the amount of uh, on the amount of targets he will receive. It's
2: it's interesting because he might not see the playmaking, but I certainly do, <laughs> because to me, the two best people in OTAs and minicamp were Kirby Joseph and Sam Laporta. Those were the two most consistent guys day in and day out making plays seemingly every single day. And to be fair, Laporta played the entire minicamp with the second team. Like maybe he got a few reps here and there with the first team, but they are, they are doing, the lines are doing what they're doing, which is he's got to earn it. You got to earn it. Like literally there's no one taking first team reps outside of maybe Jameer Gibbs. And that's only because David Montgomery missed most of OTAs and minicamp. Everyone else is repping with the second and third teams. And so Sam Laporta is doing what he should be doing, which is beating up a bunch of backups, but he's doing it very consistently. I I, I don't know. Here's the thing, Chris and Ryan, and maybe this was going to be your question to me, or maybe this is my question to you, because like I'm starting to get those vibes where like he's, he's one of those guys that could break that mold of the, the rookie tight end season where you're typically only getting 300 to 400 yards, but given the way everything is shaking out, given the way he's playing, I'm like, maybe that number is closer to 600, 700, 800. And I, I want to pull myself back because that is rare. That is that is very rare. So it's documented how rare it is for, for rookie tight ends to really produce at the like 800-yard level. But this guy, I mean, I think he's he's special in in how much they're going to use him in the passing game. Like we, we talk a lot about Jameer Gibbs and how much they're going to use him in the passing game. I think Sam Laporta is almost going to be a wide receiver first, rather than a tight end, and he, he's going to be in line a lot. But I don't know how interested they are in developing him him as a blocker right away. I think, I think, I think they are going to use him as an offensive weapon almost immediately, and that could mean higher than average numbers for a rookie tight end.
3: Do you, Do you feel happy about that, Chris? Do you feel like that's real, or do you think that that's
1: June? I don't know if I can take the full upside, but I think at the very least, when you say he's consistent day in and day out, that's real. And I think that is something, the, the only thing I'll push back on is that, again, I, I think standing out from that timeshare right now, having to earn it, things of that nature. I, I don't know how I feel about the other tight ends right now, like. but I, I look at at least the, the talent on display and I see like, okay, Shane Zylstra has been fun, but I'm... I think Laporta can at the at the very least, if they're looking at him to use him as a weapon, they will use him as a weapon in that regard. Uh, I, I have some more questions about the blocking, but I think this question was more about what he can do on offense, what he can do in the pass catching game, and for that, I see real. I don't know how you how do you feel about that, Ryan? It's a wait and see it kind of thing.
3: Like I need I need training camp, and I again stuff's going to be pretty vanilla in the preseason, but I. I would be most encouraged if LaPorta was predominantly playing in line, doing things that TJ Hawkinson just didn't seem like he was good
2: at. So that, that would be an upgrade in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's obviously something that we don't really have a good gauge of when there's no pads on. Right. And maybe, maybe that's why I'm getting the feeling that he's going to be more as a receivers. Like he really just can't work on that sort of stuff. You can't really like work on blocking to... right
1: now. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, yeah. But, and and also like, one reason he's probably winning a lot is that he's mostly getting free releases, right? There's not going to be a nickel or a, a linebacker or or whatever jamming him at the line this early in camp when you you can't really have a lot of contact. So, we'll see, um but I I am definitely very encouraged and and I am I am having to pull myself back a little bit I think on some of those rookie season expectations, but I think he's going to be a very very good player eventually. All right. Do we have another do we have time for another
3: question, Chris? We do, we do. You have a third okay. one? I do. Um, does Jameson Williams need to take receiving lessons from Baby Gronk because of his drops?
1: Just kidding. Uh, On we're Saturday, not- <laughs> Jameson Williams rizzed up <laughs> Baby Gronk.
3: No, we're not We're not doing this. Uh, we, we talked about the drops thing, um, but I, I, the question I have is two parts. One, how comfortable does... Noted backup quarterback fan and beat writer Jeremy Reisman feel about Nate Sudfeld mm-hmm. after after you know the you know the mini camp that just went over. But
1: I, I would rather do the baby Gronk question and talk about <laughs> Nate Sudfeld more. But go on, go on. The,
3: the second part is: Do you get a sense that Hendon Hooker is going to be ready sooner than
2: we expected? Oh man, those those are actually two really good questions because they both were on my mind today. Um, We talked to Brunel today and he was very, very uh, complimentary of uh, the job really his, the entire room is doing, but specifically um, I I feel like he is comfortable with the backup situation. I I feel like you have to remember when he came in last year, right? He came in at the very beginning of the year, uh, regular season. And so no training camp, like you have to learn that offense on the fly and you're already the backup. And so and again, like we didn't. This is our first look at him. This is our like we didn't get training camp. We we don't get to really see how he is in practice. And I think he looks decent. I mean, decent for a backup. I'm I'm not saying, to be clear, not saying there's any backup comp like a, a competition for the starting job. I don't even think there's a backup competition. Like I think I think Hendon Hooker, the redshirt year thing, right? that that comment I think means something. And I don't necessarily think that means. to to transition to your second question, I don't necessarily think that means he is going to spend the first three months of the season on pup, or I guess NFI or IR or whatever. Um, I don't know. Like he was moving around a decent amount today before practice, you know, jogging at a, you know, not a full pace, but probably a little bit faster than a jog. And he's throwing for the first time on air. And like, he's making those steps. And like, now he has a full month and a half of, of, you know, the opportunity to do that before training camp starts. I would still be very, very surprised if on day one, Hendon Hooker is not off the NFI list. I think he misses at least a couple weeks of training camp. But I think, I think there is a looming very interesting decision that they're going to have to make, which is, is getting Hendon Hooker one or two weeks of training camp. And then the first six weeks of practice worth taking him off the NFI list. Or do we say, because this is a red shirt season, um, because, we already have a backup in Nate Subfield that we're comfortable with. Let's just have an extra r- roster spot, put him on the NFI. And then in six weeks, we'll see where, where we go. I think the rule changes probably helps that last scenario. A little, so well, like, here,
1: but the rule change is tricky, though, because you have to you still have to be on the 53, right? You, you do. You do. But usually in the case of inactives, like the, you could be on the 53 and you just keep him basically inactive. Right. On sure. game day. But yeah. that's not that's not considered a problem just in case it really gets down the trenches. If like there's a whole like, I don't know, a uh, triage unit out there. But I, I guess related to that, if I could ask like about how golf is doing right now, because I feel like we're getting into this groove where we're just like, as always, we can't seem to see anything about Goff without being called haters sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this is the thing with Jared Goff. I don't I don't really take anything I see from him as that important this time of year, right? The the one, I, I wouldn't say it was his best string of, you know, three weeks of practice, but it wasn't like noticeably bad. It was pretty mm-hmm. average Jared Goff. And the, and the one thing that, that I would say is like him and JMO are definitely not on the same page yet. And, and you can take that however you want to meet. You can take it as JMO's still fine tuning his routes and, and learning where he needs to be and learning um as, as uh, Antoine Randall L said, like today um he needs to learn like, when he's got that freedom to like maybe throw in an extra move there or when he needs to go and get to his mark on a certain specific timing. I think that's something Jamo still needs to work out. I think, you know, obviously uh, there, there's some working out on golf's part too, right? He has to adjust to his speed. He has to adjust to his height. He has to adjust to all those tendencies that, that, that he has. And it's not there yet. Doesn't mean it won't get there. Doesn't mean it's someone's fault. Doesn't mean Jared Goff's a horrible quarterback or Jameson Williams, a, a bad route runner. It's just not there yet. And then, as for everything else, it just kind of looks like business as usual. Um, I don't, I don't really think there is a a hot take to take about Jared Goff's spring. I think it was it was average. That's not a bad thing, by the way.
1: I don't know. I think the way some fans have said, I would think average would be di- be disappointing, but we'll see. As you say, it's early for it. He's had time to work out with his receivers and everything, so we'll see how much. Longer this takes. Uh were you we good, Ryan? Did you have uh any other notes or
3: no? I'll I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to tease that run twitch.tv slash brighter Troy. I'll ask Jeremy a follow-up question on the live show.
1: Oh, we're not live right now. For the live audience. Oh only. I Which was trying good. to do a joke. Uh, real <laughs> quick before we break, uh Something real fun just to kind of sandwich in here before we go into breakout players. Bucks announced that the game in Tampa that the Detroit Lions will be playing, they're going to be wearing the creamsicles in honor of a NFC Central clash. I always remember all those classic Tampa Bay Buccaneers Detroit Lions clashes. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> well, I mean,
2: doing research for that story, a uh, very short story that we wrote, the Lions actually hold the, 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 uh, whatever the overall record against the Buccaneers they're like I think it's like 31 and 29 yeah because so. the
1: Buccaneers used to be like absolutely yeah. terrible
2: well it's it's one of the few teams that the Lions have played a lot of times that they've beaten more times than not than lost sure yeah so but I mean the creamsicles are awesome right and and if the Lions don't respond with their throwbacks and I know they can't like they can't literally wear the jerseys that they were back then but they no because, because like it's a home game for the box
1: right? right yeah but they
2: can wear the Thanksgiving homes, right? Like if if the Bucks are wearing white or orange, I think you can still go with your home blue just that you you have to go with like the the gray helmet instead of the the old, you know, the bubbles logo. Unless unless that's their we're st- we're still waiting on news for the Lions alternate helmet that is supposedly is coming oh, yeah. this year. So maybe maybe there's maybe that's what they do. Maybe they throw out the throw throw bubbles on the helmet for for a week. For for as interesting as all that is,
3: um I would rather talk about how as soon as I heard the news, I could just see images of Barry Sanders running away from people in orange and, and white jerseys. Like it That's seems like right every, to... it seems like every photo from that era of the creamsicles is just Barry
1: running away or just Barry, Ger- Barry trucking someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Which is, which is, poor John is Lynch. all good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, no poor John Lynch. Nothing in this. What are you talking about?
3: Creamsicles overrated or underrated as a dessert treat?
1: under
2: Mm. properly properly rated
1: i hate popsicles i will eat a a creamsicle so when i was a kid i would always kind of veer away from the creamsicle but i would go to the fudge sickle fair Mm. but i think as i've grown up i've come to appreciate uh not to go back onto our olga's thing from a few weeks ago jeremy but orange cream cooler is what i think about when you say creamsicle these days
3: creamsicles are great i i feel like we just described the holy trinity as soon as i bring up strawberry shortcake bars like you have those fudgicles and creamsicles i feel like that's Mm -hmm. the holy trinity
1: well what about the uh was it the firework pop is that no no
0: okay
2: popsicles overrated but i mean yeah like i think we just named the three most acceptable things to order when a an ice cream truck pulls by not the
1: tweety bird jeremy what's an ice cream truck they even allow kids go near them. <laughs> Shout out to the Toledo people. By the way, I had Jans when I went home, so I got myself a, uh, a one of those turtle Sundays. So only only Toledo people will get that. With that, we are going to take a break when we come back. Time to talk about breakout players for the Detroit Lions and some more news. Until then, on twitch.tvs we shall be entertaining the audience. And Jeremy, this feels really empty. I don't have a live read here, but we're just going to go straight to break. Yeah. We'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit PODcast. Bye, Slim Jims.
0: You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Right. to Detroit POD cast. Let's talk about breakouts. Uh, one of the things I think, Ryan, you shared this with us a couple weeks back and you really enjoyed it. It's from friend of the POD cast, Bucky Brooks on NFL.com. He listed his 2023 NFL all breakout team talking about Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, uh, who else was on that list that I remember? Jerry, Judy, Isaiah, likely. So these aren't rookies, but they're they've played like one or two years in the league. They're still on the rookie contracts and he's trying to figure out who's going to break out this year. Who's going to be the guy who just really wows you young player who's ripe to come onto the scene? Correct. Correct.
3: Yeah. And I think another important part that he mentions in the introduction is he says, uh, you know, these these are guys who like haven't earned an all pro or pro bowl honors yet. Mm-hmm. So he kind of has that caveat of like they haven't even received like a little bit of attention for for their play.
1: And I think what we want to do is maybe go through Detroit Lions, who so we think could maybe be among this class. I don't think he listed any Lions in his all breakout team. There was no one there. And honestly, I don't I don't even mind that because I'm just realizing as I'm sitting here doing it, especially for offense, I'm trying to figure out who would fit that criteria right now. So I think what we're going to try to do is sit here and kind of throw things against the wall and figure out what we could really do with it. Who's the person who's going to really break out? Who's the person who's just going to just floor everyone? at least on defense for me, I've at least got one name in mind, but who wants to, do you want me to start or should we just go around here or what, what are we going go ahead, go ahead? Chris? Well, I think, I think the easy one is probably from, I can, you know, I don't even know where to go on offense right now. Cause I originally wrote down, like, you know, I can't write down Jameer Gibbs. He's a rookie. I don't even think I could write down St. Brown. Cause he's got a pro bowl now. Yeah. So without going somewhere on the line, it's hard for me to figure out, but at least know on defense, I think the fan favorite is probably Kirby Joseph. End of the year on a pretty good footing. And I think people are going to look for him for exceptional production out of the backfield. This, uh, this, I keep saying backfield, but the secondary this uh, this coming year.
2: Yeah. And, and and like I was mentioning at the top, man, He's he's playing with so much more confidence. You not said that he's he was, one of the
1: two players who's like super consistent. Yeah,
2: and and not like he was lacking confidence last year, but you know mm-hmm. this time last year he's a quiet guy. Like he was, he was a rookie. He was a guy that um, was was kind of in the weeds, and now it just it doesn't feel like any of that. It feels like a lot of mm-hmm. it's coming naturally. And He's a ball hawk in general, so a lot of that is is going to happen. I think the the key for him is just making sure he's still like playing within the scheme. He's still playing his role and not trying to do more because he's, he's the kind of guy I think because he's such a ball hawk, because he's a guy that that can cover a lot of ground. He's going to be a guy that's tempted to do a little bit more than he should, but he knows that like, he knows he, he's saying all the right things right now, which is like, I just need to do my job because if my guys are making plays instead of me. That's still our team making plays, but um, I'm with you. I think, I think, I think he could take even a bigger step this year, even though like he started, like he's starting to do media rounds now. Right. He's like, I'm good morning football. He's not got an ESPN. Like he's starting to, he's already kind of taking that step, but now I'm going to say,
1: I feel like, I feel like he's, he's, he he learned how much he liked talking a little bit after that green Bay game. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep riding it.
2: (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll go next. Um, Hopefully I don't steal yours, Ryan, but I do think this is maybe one of their, the more logical answers here. And we've talked about him a couple times this off season, uh, Ali McNeil, um, good answer. Yeah. It, it, it really feels like, I mean, last year was supposed to be it, right? Speaking of morning football, they were, they were really hyping up a limb McNeil, um, and I think we all kind of expected year two to be that year two jump, but it doesn't always necessarily come in year two. Um, it, it's what we talk about a lot, but some players, it takes a little bit longer. Some players never comes at all. Um, but I feel like this is, I don't want to say a, a, a now or never year for Aleem, but it feels like this is when it should come. We, we've talked already all off season about the body transformation, the the psychological transformation he had at the begin, at the, in the middle of the season last year with the, the players owners meeting. Now that he's got like a a secondary that that can hold up some time. He's got some developed healthy pass rushers on the edge, a linebacking core that's getting better. That's probably going to blitz a whole lot. He's actually surrounded by some talent now where he's not going to be the primary focus of the offensive line. There's going to be a lot of focus elsewhere. So everything is set up for Lee McNeil to succeed this year. And so, I think, I think this is a year in which we could really like, if he's ever going to reach, maybe not like Delvin Tomlinson and Oliver status, but like the next year below those guys, this is the year he's going to do it.
3: I I think both of those are great answers. Um, There's a lot of room. Oh yeah. I was just going to say there there's clear defined roles carved out for both of those guys. I think like Kirby's starting in the secondary aleem is starting in the middle of that defensive line like those things are both i think pretty pretty solid safe bets for for the player that i was going to suggest it's kind of hard for them to surpass what they did in you know half of a season last year but james houston could technically be a breakout player no no pro bowl honors no no all pro honors obviously but again, it might be tough for him to surpass eight sacks in the season, you know? And yeah. I wonder how many people would view that as, as disappointing mm-hmm. um, just because obviously there's the whole, it happened with Sue, right? Like it, his rookie season. I think it was the most sacks that he ever had as a Detroit lion. And, and there was this kind of idea that like, Oh, Sue isn't quite the player that you know he's being made up to be. I, I think Houston could fall victim to that, but I think what you want to see from that guy is, is he developing into somebody who can play on all three downs? That would be a huge improvement, even if he fell short of that sack total, um, because, you know, sacks are just a a weird set sometimes in general. But I I think if you see a guy who's on the field more consistently, that would be a huge win for not only James Houston, but for the Lions, too.
1: It's, it's funny because when I was looking at the defensive ends, thinking about it for breakout too, I wasn't sure if I could even put Aiden Hutchinson on the list, but let me bring Aiden Hutchinson back into this for a second. I think that is a key to maybe you you mentioned the drop-off because after that first year with Sue, everyone immediately knew what Sue can do and started planning for that. But I think in the case of James Houston, it, it, like you could plan for James Houston or you could plan for Aiden Hutchinson. And it's like, which one do you really want to having both out there? I think helps the case of James Houston at the end of the day, just you can get a lot more different looks and they've definitely kind of eased Houston in, but it's clear that they now fully trust him like as, as an edge rusher out there, fully trust him to do this kind of work. And yeah, no, I could absolutely see, I, I don't think the likelihood of him coming back down to earth is maybe as high as someone like Sue was just because Sue was such a monster and was immediately targeted for being that monster out there.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> make something clear. Like Sue was awesome, like
1: mm-hmm.
3: almost all the time here in the, in Detroit, but there was that perceived notion with, with sack numbers that are always kind of weird and interception right. numbers are also a weird, Yeah, they
1: went, they a- went down for Sue, but that's because then he was drawing double teams and that carries its own benefit when a guy is drawing a double team, every, yeah. every down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So James Houston's it, a, a really really interesting one for me because I don't know where his career goes honestly. Because like you're right, if if I think the next step, like if if James Houston takes a breakout step, it's not going from 8 sacks to 15 sacks. It's going from 8 sacks to about 8 sacks and could, and then growing as you said as, as a three-down player. And that would be huge it it you know might not make national waves it might not make pro bowls or all pros mm. but for as deep and and as much as we like the lions edge room right now charles harris has gone in a year romeo aquara has gone in a year right like there there isn't necessarily a future guy opposite aiden hutchinson that we feel really good about for the future now josh Pascal could be that guy and maybe he's a guy that we need to talk about as a potential breakout candidate but there's a lot of guys on defense well we
1: have, again yeah, i keep right. bringing this it's up like, young, we, like the youngest defense in the league last year right kind of skipping yeah. through aiden hutchinson just because i think he got a pwf pfwa award like well, yeah, he still if
2: you, but if you play if you play second in rookie defensive rookie of the year i don't know if you can count year two as a breakout unless we're talking 18 sacks like
1: i think i think the, the problem is once again this is us being a little too close to the trees i think on a national level it would be a breakout what but
2: I I think what, that's what part is of break. Us... Well, what is it? What is a yeah. breakout for Aiden Hutchinson? In all pro season. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna get there. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean he was playing near an all pro level the last at the end of last season. I should yeah. I should point that out. So you um, think
3: Sauce Gardner should have won defensive. No, right no, here?
2: don't. I didn't don't. I mean, I do, <laughs> but don't. <laughs> uh yes.
1: Ah yes. Uh, yes, here we I go. I drag again. you into hell with
2: me. But yeah, no, just with James, it, it's it's interesting. I, I actually think there is a legitimate chance to step back for him because, because I'm not one, I don't, I'm not sure he's that three down player yet. He hasn't really proven that he's capable of being that three down player. And like you said, Ryan sack numbers are, are finicky. So if he doesn't necessarily step in, there might not be even an opportunity for him to step up and be a three down. Like if Romeo plays well, Charles Harris plays well, and they like both those guys a lot, clearly, there might not be even much of an opportunity for James Houston to become a three down player. And then it's all about being a situational pass rusher. And listen, if James Houston turns out to be a seven, eight, nine sack a year situational pass rusher, you knocked it out of the damn park in the sixth round, right? Like there's no reason to be upset about that. But again, sack numbers are finicky. So if he doesn't become a three down player and he has four or five sacks this year, like a lot of people are going to be disappointed with that, but that's, I think within a, that's entirely within the realm of possibilities this year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All these conversations are relative
3: because the one other name I was going to throw out was Fatu thought Like Like yeah. him quote unquote, breaking out would be participating on defense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Not because but of injury. <laughs> this, this, is, this is harder on offense though. Right, Chris. Yeah. Like, yeah
1: I've, I've been sitting here as we've been talking, like where the hell do I even take this on offense at this point? I think we have to break the rules, right? There's, there's literally no one. See again, like yeah, it's it's either I've got to go with a rookie like Gibbs or I've got to say like because I'm I'm on Ross Saint Brown. We all know him, and I think fantasy he's hitting that weird level, Ryan. Like I, I think we had this kind of thing the other week when we were talking about players who are gambling. We were talking about the Colts players, and he was described as like. Not a superstar, but someone who you really were in deep with the NFL, you'd know, which I don't think was true. I even forget his name now, but I think St. Brown is kind of in that territory where it's like, if you have him in fantasy, you probably know who he is. If you're a Lions player, some national people are starting to know that, but I I think we had a pro bowl at a skill position. I know, but that's, that's, that's where I, that's where I was going to say, but in my counter to my own point at this point, like (laughs) I don't know where to put St. Brown. I think at this point he's probably gone as high as he can. So, but then again, what am I going to do now? Just uh, like, I think we've gotten enough about the lions offensive line.
3: Yeah. I I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's unfair to say that a rookie can have a breakout season. I know that he didn't Mm -hmm. include any on there, but like, I don't know if I were to ask you guys a question about the offense in terms of breakout players, who is more likely to break out, Jameer Gibbs or Sam Laporta?
2: It's it's no question for me. It's, it's Jameer Gibbs. Yeah, Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs is going to have so many opportunities to get the ball in in both the run game and the pass game. I'm telling you, like, I I really think 70 catches is a realistic possibility for Jameer Gibbs this rookie season
1: they had an idea of what they want to use Jameer Gibbs for. They want, they, they wanted it so much that they drafted him as high as they did. They, they've clearly been showing in all of these camps and OTAs and all the other training exercises, how they like, this is, this is someone we want to put a lot behind. This is someone that is going to be a linchpin to the offense, even at a young, young age, he's going to get a lot of, he's going to get a lot of, uh, of, of looks his way.
2: He's repping with the receivers, man. Like yeah. during half of these individual drills, he's repping with the receivers. Like all the like I know we're we're like never compare these guys to you know Pro Bowl Pl- This is a regime that had Alvin Kamara and used Alvin Kamara in a very Alvin Kamara had 80 catches in his rookie season. That is what they want. That is who they think they have. So they're going to use him like they used Alvin Kamara, so seventy eighty catches is the goal, and and is like they're going to be disappointed in that in that building if if he isn't somewhere near that mark. And so, as much as as, as I like what I see out of Sam Laporta, he's not touching that.
3: If his impact is only measured
2: by numbers, though, you know sure. what I mean. Yes. Like that's fair.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you guys. Like the clear answer is Gibbs just because of the responsibilities that he's going to have, the opportunities he's going to have. But there, there's something about just me thinking how Sam Laporta fits into the offense and the, the wrinkle that he adds that I think so many people were hoping that TJ Hawkinson could have had a similar impact yeah. in that way. But he, he just occupied a spot that, Clearly they wanted Amon Ross St. Brown to play. And you know, I the only other name that I could think of was you know, more tight ends, but like James Mitchell. Yeah. does that does that count as a guy who could potentially have a breakout season? Again, I think it comes back to opportunity, right? It comes yeah. back to is he going to even be tight end two? If he's not tight end two, then you're seeing James Mitchell very, very few times during the game.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think that we're already stretching at that point. The idea of breakout from a different angle is like, we'll think that's good for him on the Lions, but like for the for the Bucky Brooks context, I don't think that would even rate. No. Well, yeah, he's, listen, he is firmly tight end three entering, entering
2: training camp. And I don't think he leaves training camp above that. They, they mm-hmm. like Brock Wright a lot. And obviously Sam Laporta is going to be one or two, almost certainly one now they're high on i think I think they are still high on James Mitchell, but I haven't seen it and it's not it's not I haven't seen it because he's been bad. I haven't seen it because he's been injured and he's been injured
1: during oTAs now too so does like, this
2: give me give me some availability before i I start putting you on a on a breakout list.
1: Does this make you concerned at all on anything with the offense that there is it seems like there is a gap and look i I admit this is all me trying to torture myself and to find anything to really talk about here but i feel like there is a gap between the established players the rookies that we're putting a lot of hope into and the players that we just know are on the roster but probably won't stand out at this point i don't know how much upside we really have to them is there a reason at all that we can take any kind of little bit of concern that there is no one we can call breakout on the offense.
2: No, well, not at all for me. Okay, Like I think, I think this offense is a perfect mixture of everything. You've got veterans who've established themselves. You've got young players who are on year two and three who've already established like Panay Sewell and i Ross St. Brown and Jonah Jackson maybe could have fit into this category a little bit, but like, and then you have veterans like Frank Ragnow and, and, and Taylor Decker, Marvin Jones. And then you have your rookies. Like it is a perfect balance of like rookies that you're putting a lot of faith into young guys who are still in the rookie contracts that are almost superstar status. And then your veterans who are just solid and still will probably play for your team for another two or three years. That's where I think the defense wants to be the defense, has all the, all these breakout candidates, cause they're all young. They're all super like, you know, on the verge of being something good, but like we were saying during the break, like there is no top top tier talent on defense. That's why mm-hmm. there's all these breakout candidates. Because there are all these guys that right. could be in those categories on offense. You already have a handful that are in that category.
3: How are we going to go that entire conversation without asking the question of whether or not JMO is a breakout JMO? Right, yeah.
0: <laughs> Mo oh, no. is the
2: elephant in the room here, which. We almost got through an entire podcast without talking about but we, we have to. Ah, right.
1: is, is his name just going to be a bingo card now?
2: I,
3: here's the thing with J-Mo. If he breaks out this year and he has the season that, I mean, any of us could draw up for a guy who gets to play 11 games, right? hmm If he has that year, the Lions run away with the NFC North. Wow. If J Jay, if Jamo is a true number one receiver yeah. and he's a game wrecker, the lions run away with the NFC North
1: week if 14 he, week 14. Is that the joke? <laughs> if, uh,
3: if Jamo isn't that guy, the lions are going to fight for the NFC North because of everything that I think you guys just said, like, yeah, it's great that it's a nice, it's a nice little cosmic gumbo on offense when, when you have, guys who have stuff to prove um, mm-hmm. like young players and Gibbs and Laporta. But like Montgomery kind of has to prove that, you know, he can come over here and, and handle a big, big share of the workload. And we, we talked about this on previous podcasts. It's an entire new backfield in the offense as far as your, your top two players. So I, I'm saying that's the difference that I think JMO could make. If he, if he's a dude, then they're running away with the NFC North, and you're talking about maybe a team that might like play for a, a conference, like conference best record, a one seed, a first round by
2: Ryan. If he's a, if he's a we... 19, 19 yards a catch kind of guy, you're not even talking about defense. Though you're just saying if the offense takes another kick, kicks it into another gear to bring some car talk in if they. They go from fifth gear to
1: sixth gear. Those aren't <laughs> gears. Those, I think that's a sign we should probably be uh, getting on out of here. Well, I, really before we do like, I, yeah. and, and
2: some people in the chat brought it up, you you briefly brought it up there, Ryan. I think I think David Montgomery is, is worth being in this conversation as well, because remember when that signing was made, everyone's like, hey, that's an upgrade from Jamal Williams. Hey, that guy hasn't played with a good offensive line in a long time. Hey, that guy can break a lot of tackles. All right, well, let's see it. Dave Montgomery, Mm -hmm. can you become like a, you know, 4.8 yards per carry type of guy? And listen, like he's got a lot of production to match up to with with the guy he's replacing, but can he be a more efficient back than he ever was in Chicago? Because I think that is the expectation for a lot of Lions fans is that you were dealt a crappy hand in Chicago. Now you're being dealt a great hand. Ball out. And and if he does, like, maybe he does work his way into a Pro Bowl conversation.
1: It's he's, not as, he's be- still,
2: as much as Jameer Gibbs is going to get his touches in the in the passing game, David
1: Montgomery is going to lead this team in rushing attempts. He's just not going to be a bell cow. True. I'm sorry. That's something we talked about in the <laughs> break. I think with that, we should probably get out of here. Put a pin in that. What do you guys think? Let's do it. Uh, information we got to give the people about podcasts coming up this week, Jeremy.
2: Yeah, uh, let's see. We're, we are doing a a first bite this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are talking Brian Branch. We are up to Brian Branch going in reverse order of the draft. But obviously, since there's some overlap with Alabama, uh, we will get our Alabama writer to talk a little bit about Jameer Gibbs. But we are going to have a separate podcast later in the rotation on Jameer Gibbs from a Georgia, Georgia Tech point of view. And Midweek Mailbag will come back and... I think we may finally have a solution to our call-in show, so that might make a return this week yeah. as well. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think you guys have forfeited that to Dan, though. <laughs> we we can find a new time slot. We can we can we can coexist us and Dan. Pass. Dan Dan likes calling in so much he has just decided to just. You know what? It's free real estate. He saw us go <laughs> off the board. He was like, "It's free real estate." Uh, that's J- Jeremy. Find him on Twitter at Detroit online. Brian is at Ryan underscore POD, the rock God. And I am at Chris Perfett. And as always, we'll see you star side.